0: Thanks for joining Impact Boom on this episode.
1: It's an ever-changing landscape, and that actually happens with innovation as things change. There's these new ways of doing them, and we need to be open. Pushing boundaries, challenging our thinking, discovering novel, complex solutions to, or not complex solutions, but pretty simple solutions to pretty complex problems is what you find. Those are the quite simple, can tackle actually big, nasty problems.
0: educators, innovators, thinkers and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to
2: episode 411 of Impact Boom. My name's Sarah and I'm passionate about visioning, empowering and contributing to initiatives and enterprises causing positive transformation locally and globally. Today we're speaking with Angela Young. Angela is a professional with over 20 years experience in entrepreneurship, innovation and business development. She serves as a non-executive director at Trade and Investment Queensland where she advocates for high growth businesses, enabling global expansion for Queensland exporters and promoting the state as an ideal investment destination. As an innovation consultant, Angela advises startups, scale ups, social enterprises, and government organisations on strategies to tackle social and environmental challenges. As the Director of Startups at Video Australia, she successfully supported the launch and growth of a broad range of innovation ventures which focus on economic sustainability and community engagement. Angela's co founding experience in Genesis BDI Limited, a successful boutique private equity firm. Angela's co founding experience in Genesis BDI Limited, a successful boutique private equity firm, enriches her comprehensive understanding of business growth, strategic partnerships, and that even successful companies are not immune to collapse. Angela is passionate about nurturing the startup ecosystem, and her consulting approach revolves around sharing her lived experience to empower those she meets with both practical solutions for their enterprises, but to also unlock their personal potential. Angela is known as a super connector and continues to make lasting impact in the startup and SME community by connecting and guiding entrepreneurs towards success through strategic and sustainable economic growth. On today's podcast, we will discuss how Angela guides entrepreneurs towards sustainable and strategic growth, as well as Angela's expertise and some key learnings from working in the space of innovative business. And thank you so much for being with us today. No troubles. Thank you for inviting me on. It's terrific to have you here. I'm really curious to know a bit more about your background and what it is that has led you to where you are now. Interesting background. How would I classify it?
1: Probably a portfolio career. I started out with kind of a direction and then it's just evolved from there without any sort of strategy or an actual ladder that I was actually working towards. I'm an optimistic and curious person. As I was just telling you, I've got a little bit of ADHD. So I'm really interested in what's happening over here as well as what I'm doing. But throughout my career, what I've learned is how I can actually piece those things together and how I connect them and remember people to be able to give really good value and create greater impact. So I'll remember people from 20, 30 years ago that are still relevant, that I can connect somebody with or just re-engage in a conversation. Where did it all start? I grew up in a regional town. So I am from Rockhampton, so eight hours north. Lived there for about 25 years before I moved out and came to Brisbane. So was educated there, plus did university there and headed to Brisbane during the last big recession that we had just for employment opportunities. Started out in universities and was still in universities until we came up with this idea to found our own business. My husband at the time and I were always really interested in working for ourselves and creating something that we had control of. And we really loved the TV show, The New Inventors. People or engineers or inventors would hop on and pitch a product on the ABC. And there were people, I guess, there that were were judging them or critiquing them. And we always wonder, what happens to some of these great inventions? We very rarely see any of them coming out to market. And we thought, oh, maybe that's what we could do is grab some of these inventions, give them some funding, build them off, build them up, sell them off or keep some of them. So really take them on that growth journey. This is like in the early 2000s. So we looked around and went, the only vehicle to do that was to set up a private equity firm. We did not have the funds to be able to be leveraging this, nor did we want to go to the banks and get a big loan to be able to help people. So we established a private equity firm. no background in that or no understanding. The idea was go and find people that were high net worths that would trust us with their money. So there was three of us myself who's got a background in communications and psychology, my partner who became a husband and was a mechanical engineer, and the third person was someone that was working in business advisory and was a CFA or CFO. CFO. So we went to market, found somebody, gave us a million dollars, and off we went. We couldn't find inventions because we're talking 20 years ago. There's no co working spaces, there is no startups or people that are in the business of inventing or doing something innovative are in a collected space they're normally in a garage and hiding away we came from a university background so we're doing a little bit in the university research and couldn't really find anything that we had the experience or capability or the technical expertise and with which to make those businesses grow because they were doing things like koala research and chlamydia and we're like "Mm, we don't know too much about that so we went off and spun in a different direction and thought maybe we can acquire some mum and dad companies that are growing. There's no succession plan and perhaps we can grab some of those, build them up and that might be the right way to go. So we set off on this, I guess, acquisition strategy and our point of reference or our Bible was the courier mail and the businesses for sale section. So we ended up through that process buying one company that had grown internationally was exporting great products, plugs and leads for audio files, all this language I didn't understand, but was really successful, internationally well-regarded. The inventor was Brisbane-based, but internationally well-regarded, run by a mum and dad couple that wanted to retire and the children didn't want to take it over, so we bought it. And from there we went, okay, this works. We still got some money from that one. We had one investor that gave us a million dollars. We still got some money. Let's go find some others. We did find other companies again through the Courier Mail. The next one was at Ballina. That was an ecological company in consumer electronics. So people that are making componentry or electronic parts for products grew into a stable of five companies with 90 staff, all based around Brisbane. Titley was northern New South Wales. And it grew really well for seven years. And then it stopped or exploded something went wrong and that's the reason why i'm not working there anymore and now i'm I'm doing sort of other things and not sitting on this wonderful island so it was a big successful company and it went wrong for silly founder issues red flags that were never addressed early on and particularly in the financial kind of area a co-founder that was the cfo we gave him the keys to the kingdom When it came to the finances, we went, we're not finance people. That's your thing. You just handle that and tell us where to sign and we'll believe everything. So very trusting. The long story short was when we fell out just over growing apart and wanting to do different things, we decided to leave the company and we were going to be bought out by our single investor who have 51%. That's another learning that you learn along the way. Don't give it all to someone that has the ultimate control and a board that can control it all. They did their due diligence and in that due diligence, there was a whole lot of money missing and we were tarred with that. It was seen that we had between the three founders embezzled money and taken money offshore into overseas bank accounts and we were out of the companies. They got really aggressive and, and came after us. My husband and I were completely shocked. We had no idea what was actually going on. And it was really hard to fight that. So we were proven guilty and had to try and prove ourselves innocent. It was a brutal exercise. And in the end, we agreed, my husband and I, to walk away and hand over our shares for nothing. So... We weren't pursued through the courts. We hadn't done anything wrong and went, okay, we're young enough, we're 40, it's not real young, to walk away and start again. But without having to go through this court process and try and prove our innocence, we handed over our shares for nothing and walked away. Our co-founder decided to fight and over a process of seven years, it took the the investor and that co-founder to fight things out it ended up that the companies were split off still some of them exist today which is a godsend for those staff that were there but it turns out that our CFO was the one that was doing embezzling he had embezzled 18 million dollars over the course of the company's life and had set up the overseas bank accounts. That was my big bang, harsh lesson. Now you're out in the real world and, oh, my God, you've got a big black mark on you. All this stuff has gone wrong. And I don't know, like some other founders will resonate once you you start working for yourself. Because there is no set pathway and, and you're only answerable to yourself. I don't know if what I'm doing is actually right. So when you finish, you think you're quite unemployable by somebody else. Oh, my God, what I've been doing over here in my thing is just, doing stuff and making it happen. I don't know if that's the right way. I haven't got an MBA and whatnot to sit behind it. So I entered into a world like a little bit fragile and a little bit like, oh, God. I left a nine-year gap on my resume because I didn't want to talk about that. I thought it was a massive failing and would really hinder me. So I turned that nine-year gap into I was doing home duties or I was a mum just so I didn't have that conversation. And went, I'm going to go and do something completely different. Ended up going back to unis where I felt safe and what I understood. Connected with someone that I'd worked with about 15 years before who was at QUT and went, hey, I'm in this position. I need a CV. Can you help me write my CV and, and what I did before and how have unis changed? And he was wonderful. Helped me write my CV. Encouraged me to go in the uni at the right level of my experience, even though I had my own company and I went, I just can't do it. I want no responsibility. I want no budgets, no staff. I don't want to grow anything. I'm dealing with a house of cards on the outside. We were left with computer leases, luxury cars and other things that we had to pay off. And we were trying to do that without going bankrupt so that we wouldn't lose the opportunity to be able to be company directors again. And my husband at the time, it broke him, he could not work for a year, so I was out doing what I could just to keep this machine of kids and schools and this kind of life to keep rolling. I took a really low end job at QUT in admin, but it was in a really interesting area. So I was in the chancellery, which is, I guess, the CEO's office at the top of that office, quite a dynamic area. I was in a low admin job and I got bored really quickly with filing and things like this, so I then started answering the vice chancellor's phone because it rang off the hook. And just how can I help people? I'll get back to you. And and helping their staff in managing the volume of calls. That then turned out to me being his executive assistant, and a position I stayed in for five years. No experience as being someone's executive assistant. The diary side of things didn't thrill me that much, but it was the advisory side and who he was dealing with. So it was Peter who who is really well regarded internationally in higher ed and public policy. So there was a lot of dynamic people coming that way. During that time, this startup stuff started bubbling up. These students were being referred to me saying, we've got these business ideas. How does uni support? And I was like, oh, Okay. And it seemed very similar to what I had done 10 years beforehand. They just used this really crazy language of startups, boot camps and bootstrapping and venture capital, which didn't exist beforehand. And I went, okay, this is what I started out trying to do, but had to go through this private equity mechanism. And in 10, 12 years, this other thing is emerging entrepreneurship and innovation was burbling up in higher ed internationally. And the vice chancellor said, we need to be doing something in like this. What is it? I don't understand how we might practically apply it. So it was an interest of mine. I land in and then ended up advising him and taking him on that journey, which unlocked funds for some centers, support groups, and his support for what was actually happening. So student groups, it's where I met Timothy Huey, Years ago when he was with QUT Status, so I've known Tim for a very, very long time. The research and commercialisation areas, which was led by Blue Box and Creative Enterprises Australia. The guys which are now innovation architects that I work, that was where they were spun out of. So then spent five years working in that support of everybody, doing something that was entrepreneurial, startup related, both staff and students and managing the Foundry, which was a co-working space that ran programs, community events and supported everybody else that was doing something. So it was the space that supported everybody else rather than us competing with what the students were doing, what Blue Box and Creative Enterprises Australia were doing. We were this co-working space and I guess the incubator for for people to then go on to these other programs. I spent five years there. And during that time, it became QUT Entrepreneurship. The university signed a five-year agreement with MIT, which is the leading entrepreneurial university in the world, to share programs of support for entrepreneurship and innovation. And I was lucky enough to be able to go to MIT for about three weeks with a group of students that were doing whatever it's called, MIT Fuse and I've had a mental blank, which whatever the the next one was, but in introductory and next level programs. And then I spent six days there participating in the entrepreneurial development program. So learning about how might you or how can you teach entrepreneurship and that was using Bill Alloy's 24 Steps of Discipline Entrepreneurship. They just put that together when there was an absence of a framework. How might you start and what might be the reasonable steps? He's got a 24-step program he came up with, and it's about flexing that muscle and muscle memory by stepping through those 24 steps or as many as you can multiple times. So idea one, you'll get through. and Maybe it's step five that you fall short on. Not a great idea. Go back to so a repeatable method. That builds muscle memory. So by idea 15, this might be the right one and you'll get through the 24 steps and you might have something that actually goes out and actually grows. So learning that you could actually teach the discipline. So entrepreneurship is actually a discipline. It needs to be worked out. You need to be resilient and actually aware of when there is the point of no return. it's not a great idea. You need to actually kill it and go back to another idea. So after five years there, I then left to go and test myself in the corporate world to really see if what I was doing within this closed community, the university was quite a closed community and quite a safe community. Students could learn and fail and they had no pressure of having to pay staff or to pay rent. So it enabled them to maybe progress a little bit longer than maybe they should with an idea. I thought, oh, maybe I need to go do this in the corporate world where there are real companies that have employees and rent and all those other overheads. So they need to be a successful company, which led me to look at what BDO was doing. I'd done one of their programs. They're doing something interesting. It's not an accelerator. It's a support program, but it's based on financial understanding I was working with startups and really scared about, it, about entering into that financial bit because that's a bit I had failed on, the bit I wasn't comfortable with and went, oh, I need to actually lean into this and learn it. It's not okay for me to tell them to do that if I'm not doing it. So I lent in and learned and went, okay, it's not about becoming an accountant. It's just these basic fundamentals of the language of finance what do these terms mean? Normally, and I find with most startups I talk to that you'll bluff and nonsense when somebody says what's profit and loss, what's your balance sheet, what's your EBITDA. They know the answer to that, but they don't know what it actually means down to that kind of granular level and, and where is it coming in. Video was offering programs to startups that was really focused on the financials as the elementary, the, the first three steps that you actually did. Other accelerators will look at the idea and customers, certainly with discipline entrepreneurship, you start with the customer and then you look at that problem with the customer and then you go from there and financials comes a little bit later. These guys are going, no, do your financials up the front and see what's actually happening. What That's a litmus test that you're on the right idea, you've got a really good go-to-market strategy because of the numbers that you can actually see in your profit and loss and balance sheets. So. I decided to leap out there and, and go and work with that team and run their programs as the director of startups. And it was about building economically sustainable businesses in Queensland. It wasn't about building them to be great businesses to then go and work with BDO because the startups um, they're not going to be great clients for the kind of work that BDO does because they've got quite high entry levels with tax being one of the first thing, and most startups don't have aren't paying any tax or don't have a tax incident so that they're actually needed. But it was BDO had acknowledged that these were the future of what was happening. Anyone that was doing something a little bit different, it would be the norm as they moved ahead. So they needed to actually help. And the best way to help was to bring their value, which was the financial bit, but dampen it down to the level that can be consumed by someone little From then, they become economically sustainable businesses. They can grow from there. They're ripe for investment. Then they become a going concern. They're always going to be entirely grateful. Anyone that you help in the startup ecosystem is going to be grateful for the help that you provide and will always try and help back later on and then from there i did some guest speaking and sat on a few panels i sat on one from about with treasury on women in investment and from there an invitation came to join the tiq board which i did in october last year and i sit on that board to represent all startups and scale ups and those that are female led and particularly this problem that we have with female-led enterprises not gaining the support or the investment that they actually should. So how can we change that or what can we do to help empower the female females of those businesses to actually be able to secure funding? So that yeah. kind of rounds me out now to now I'm just an independent consultant that goes and helps others <laughs> with whatever they need. We can go into what I'm actually doing now.
2: Yeah, amazing. You've got this extensive experience as an entrepreneur, yourself, and now you're a leading advisor. So you've sat on both sides of the fence and probably a lot of spaces in between. So what would you suggest to our listeners about effective ways to engage and build meaningful partnerships? With both
1: sides, number one, be open and Be okay with asking for help. That's a single biggest one that most people, even if they're in big corporates, are willing to help. They just need to understand how and why. So if you don't tell them or don't ask them, they won't actually know. No one's a mind reader. So be really clear and honest with what you want. Make a series of small steps in a plan direction. I always liken it to a game of golf. You've got 18 holes But each hole to get to there is a series of small steps. You might go off a little bit on your target, but you've got three steps to actually get there. So breaking it down into those milestones to actually help you reach your end destination rather than just going, I'm going there and I'm going to get there as quickly as possible. That really sets you up for failure. So a lot of little small trial and errors Talk to customers and stakeholders, try and zip your lip about what your solution is and get really close to those guys and get them to talk about the problem as they experience it and they will give you really good cues for what the ultimate solution is or they will even suggest it. They know what the solution is, they just don't have the means to actually get there or the time to actually get there. So if you zip it a little bit and ask lots of why questions or tell me more about that, someone will lead into that problem and actually unfold for you. A big one is surround yourself with like minded people that are working in your space. This is a lonely pathway if you're doing your own thing. And when you find others that are doing something in a similar area, so if it's in that impact, what kind of impact? I'm working on a program now that's dealing with reducing plastic waste and we've brought together these incredible teams but they're all doing something in the plastic waste but they're all focusing on different things when you bring them together it becomes this quite rich diverse community which you can tap into all kind of doing the same thing reducing waste but at their different levels so there's not one answer it's a collective answer so lean into those take advantage of any free subsidized programs that's got an educational component because when you're going to get the like-minded people, you're going to get the support that you actually need and you'll get the education component of it as well. Even with your programs and others like that, the corporates are actually invited into, into those programs and will be there to actually add their support or add value without any cost. They've got real expertise and they're happy to come forward with that. They're not all about gobbling Up revenue and being paid and making huge amounts of money. Probably lastly, go and stalk your partners or potential partners who's already dealing with your customer. Go and have a look at what they're doing and what offering and what can you actually bring to the table to actually add value. It's an alignment of value propositions. What are you doing? How can you leverage someone that's maybe got a big customer pool? What are you unlocking and why might they partner with you is really important to get adoption or get people seeing or socializing your idea a little earlier on is to hook up with someone that's maybe a bigger player and already working with your customers Mm, amazing
2: and what does innovation mean to you and how can we bring the quality of innovation into our personal life and into our professional life All right, for me, it's the big
1: driving force and it fuels progression, transformation and actually moves the world. It's an ever-changing landscape and that actually happens with innovation as things change. There's these new ways of doing them and we need to be open. Pushing boundaries, challenging our thinking, discovering novel, complex Solutions to, or well, not complex solutions, but pretty simple solutions to pretty complex problems is what you find. Those are the quite simple, can tackle actually big, nasty problems. It needs innovation, needs creativity, the people to be adaptable, highly resilient, empathetic individuals as well that are looking at society and the human. because we've got adoption sitting on the other side. How will the human or the environment be impacted by what you're doing? It means embracing growth and improvement and continually seeking ways to provide positive impact and leave the world a better place and a better future for those that come behind. And you can do that in your little life, in your work with coming up with ideas. Instead of just having the ideas, think about how you might actually practically execute on those, not just, oh, here's a great idea, but nobody steps forward. It's that ability to be a real innovator is I can step into that space uh, and try something, not having a pathway. There is normally no pathway. You've got to figure it out. But I'm bold enough and passionate enough to actually lead that charge. So Mm. can do it it's just that little resilient and I guess that confidence or passion to be led in the first place
2: absolutely and what are some inspiring projects or initiatives that you've come across recently that you feel are creating remarkable change
1: I'm right now and that's, I'm working, I'm doing some contract consulting work with the innovation architects team and they've won a piece of work with the Queensland government and it's looking at the government's really wanting to target plastic waste and particularly single-use plastic waste. So we're working on a challenge that's called the Beyond Cups Challenge. So we're looking at that single-use coffee cup What are some great alternatives other than keep cup? Like we know there's great solutions out there, but what else is happening in the reuse or recycle of those things? Who's doing something in game-changing materials? And then the circularity, who is closing that full loop so that we haven't got any single use anything ending up in landfill? And just through that process, we've gone Australia-wide to source some real innovators, and it's just been like an incredible process, just unearthing who is doing what. I know you've had Kimberly from Carapac on here. So we've targeted Kimberly that is making plastic from prawn shells. Kelpie is another one that is making plastic alternatives with seaweed through to Ethotic, which is a Queensland based company that, is, that has come up with a lining for paper that is water resistant. Would they say something like, we just put sun cream on paper and just (laughs) another layer. So then it can carry food, it can carry any liquids but it can be recycled and long fibre paper recycling, I have learnt, is a great thing, can be used ultimately many times. So just that process of unearthing those guys and then linking them with the stakeholders. So we've got like Stadiums Queensland, the Convention Centre, Brisbane Airport Corp, the big National Retail Association that sits in with a lot of members from the big McDonald's guys down to the little corner coffee shop. They're engaged and looking for solutions because there are national bans in the work. We've done the single-use plastic bag. There is going to be the coffee cup and others will roll out. Mm. So just that process of seeing who is doing some incredible, interesting stuff. We've got them going through a bit of a program at the moment, so keep your eyes posted on Beyond Cups because we're about to announce some of these great projects that just need to be seen and get out there. Most of them B Corps are on their way to being a B corp. So guys doing massive and quite challenging things with this plastic waste. It's a huge problem.
2: Mm, Wow. That's remarkable. Very interested to see where they all go. So to finish off, Ange, what are some resources or books that you would recommend to our listeners?
1: My go-to so discipline entrepreneurship that I talked about. Go look at it. Have a look at it. Really easy book to follow. It breaks it down into twenty-four steps, and it's put out by a leading institution that's run over twenty-six thousand startups through that program, and huge success. They've got really good success coming out of that. Another one that I've just read is Heart and Hand by Dr. Kristen Ferguson. I knew her at QUT, and it's about becoming a really good leader. When you actually connect your emotions and the creative process and look at things a little bit differently, you can lead well in your home, in your local environment and in your teams as well. It's just this practical advice for people. How can they connect to each other in a deeper level and actually get the best out of everyone? That's a nice little read. I'm working my way again, my way through Think Again by Adam Grant. I'm an Adam Grant fan. I think that's just the psychology side of me. But this one is we've all got an opportunity to change our thinking and relearn. And we should be always on this pathway of learning and checking our biases. And how do we actually? Challenge ourselves to actually think differently, understand a lot about yourself, why are you predisposed in this way and think the way that you actually do to then be able to unlock change and actually adapt and change your thinking. I'm quite open-minded person. I'm willing to try anything, but how do you actually enable personal growth by just actually Swinging and looking through a different lens, and how do you practically do that? They're probably my go to. I listen to a lot of Brene Brown just in that I can resonate when you you feel like you you live with imposter syndrome and, and, and I'm not good enough and I'm not doing, but just the art of doing and actually being brave and putting things out there is huge. I think they're very empowering when you get to listen to a lot of people with a lot of different backgrounds that give you that. You can't be what you can't see and you can begin to see other people doing some wonderful things just by being brave enough and seeing you don't actually die, nothing catastrophic happens that you actually get stronger and actually leave the
2: world a better place. Absolutely. And thank you so much for (laughs) generous insights and sharing. It's been terrific. Really appreciate having you today and look forward to connecting with you further.
1: Lovely. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Please reach out if there's anything I can do or send people my way. Happy to help anyone.